Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. 2022, I've been told, was called the Great Resignation. 2022 is called the Great Resignation. Apparently 50 million workers quit their jobs in 2022. This time has also been called by others, observers of culture, observers of church, the Great De-Churching. It turns out folks are doing more than just quitting their job. They're also quitting church. And I know there are complex reasons for the great resignation. And I know there are very complex reasons for the great de-churching. But I wonder if we are in a cultural moment together where leaving seems more intuitive than staying. And this applies to all of our most life-shaping commitments. Our jobs. And yes, even Jesus. And so this is why I'm so glad that we are working through the ancient sermon that is in our Bible. It's called Hebrews. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there now. Hebrews reminds me that this temptation, that this dynamic that I just described is nothing new. The early church faced the same struggles that we do. But I believe that Hebrews offers us now, and especially now, the only lasting and healthy solution to this dynamic. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you've been encountering the real Jesus Sunday in and Sunday out. And so if you do have your Bibles open, I invite you to turn specifically to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Our passage this morning deals very honestly about the realities and the dangers of leaving Jesus and of leaving his church behind Uh, Like smelling salt. The passage we're about to read and engage in this morning is pungent. But like smelling salt, when you've passed out, it's ultimately a loving thing. So I'll read the text. I'll have you follow along. We'll pray. We'll find out why that's true for us this morning. So again, chapter 5, starting in verse 11. This is God's word. About this, and now I think the author of Hebrews is describing Melchizedek. We just talked about Melchizedek in verse 10. So about this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain. Which is relief for a preacher, by the way. Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings or baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding them up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak this way, in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Lord, with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts this morning, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer, and Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Allow us to encounter Jesus through your word. Would your word do its intended purpose in us this morning? We know that that happens. By the power, and we ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are running an ultra endurance race, like an ultra marathon, one of the most dangerous things you can do is stop moving. I don't know this personally. I don't know this from experience. Uh, but this is what I've read. When you sit down, you shut down. When you sit down, you shut down. I've also read that when you run an ultramarathon, you recruit an assistance team. And this assistance team is usually friends and committed family. And they're called your crew. And so you have a crew on race day. And they make sure that you finish. That is their one job. They have one job. Finish the race. And one of the most important jobs for your crew, I've been told, is to keep you from what? Sitting down. Because when you sit down, you shut down. One ultimate runner wrote this down on a card. And, he, and she handed this card to her crew. 
Do not let me sit down unless I'm changing socks or need to deal with foot issues. There's a knowing laugh in the room. Well, Hebrews compares discipleship to Jesus to an ultra marathon. And it's as if the preacher is on your crew with one job. Make sure you finish. Make sure you don't sit down. Because the preacher knows it will get hard. The preacher knows that you will get sluggish. It's not an if, it's a when. When I first met Jesus, I didn't walk with Jesus. I don't know if you can relate to this. I like ran with Jesus. Anyone else? I ran with him. I like sprinted with him. My legs felt great. My lungs felt great. I don't care what my pace was. I was feeling good. Anybody run a marathon recently? You know that temptation. There's those people with the placards that are supposed to keep you on pace, and you're like, forget them. Suddenly, I feel great. And you're just running so hard. My brain was now in the fog. A lot of people compared the college years, which is when I really met Jesus, as a greenhouse for growth. And so my faith in Jesus was cultivated in a greenhouse for growth. But then something happened. I left the greenhouse. I left the greenhouse for growth. My run with Jesus then became a walk with Jesus. And then the cramps happened. And then the brain fog started to happen. And things got sluggish. How many of us are feeling sluggish this morning? Yeah. I think we can maybe all think of a time in our life, like in our life, when we grew a lot. When growing was easy. We were in the greenhouse now maybe you've left the greenhouse, or maybe you've left the greenhouse for some time. My in-laws, they have, actually have a wooden door frame, and it's marked on this door frame. There's lines, and then there's names, and then there's dates. These are all their grandchildren. So over the years, when they would come, they'd line up with their back against the door frame. They'd write a line where their head meets the door frame, write their name, and write the date. And as you look, if you picked out one child, you could look at these names, and you could see these giant gaps in the years. But then as they got older, the gap started to get smaller and smaller, and then they just stopped eventually. And doesn't that describe how our walk with Jesus can feel sometimes when we're thinking about growth? There's greenhouse seasons of growth, and then there's sluggish seasons of growth. And often the transition between the two can be so disordered. If you're coming out of a greenhouse season and then you are transitioning into a sluggish season, you might start to even think to yourself, am I legit? You might start having these thoughts that you don't share with others like imposter syndrome. Am I really even a Christian? I would expect more growth today. I would expect more growth in this season. And then maybe because that is so disorienting, some of us might have the temptation to just stop. To just stop showing up. Or to stop putting that next foot forward in the walk, in the sluggish walk with Jesus. Look, if the norm for us is greenhouse of growth, and when things get sluggish, I think it's tempting to just stop because we're like, it's not that anymore. Well, this problem, we could call it post greenhouse faith disorder, <laughs> is nothing new. It's why we have the letter of Hebrews in our Bibles. 
Our passage this morning that I just read aloud is concerned with sluggishness. It's concerned more importantly with what we do in our sluggishness. In fact, it doesn't act surprised about sluggishness, does it? You can see the passage I read begins and ends this way. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, which is another way of saying slow to grow. And in the very last verse we read, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and keyword patience inherit the promises. I learned a wise phrase from a friend. The phrase is this. That's common, but it's concerned. That's common, but it's concerned. And that is true about spiritual sluggishness. It's common, but it's concerned. And why is it concerned? Well, the author of Hebrews wants to let us know. In two sections of the passage I just read aloud, the author of Hebrews spells out the concern. And those two passages, if you have your Bibles, are chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, the first section. And then chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. And so I want you to look again at the first section, verses 11 through 14. Just take a look at this passage again. And notice with me a couple concerns in this passage. The first is this, that this ancient church have stopped trying. Verse 11, since you have become dull of hearing. One translation says you're no longer trying to understand. We too can become dull of hearing because we too can stop trying to understand. Hebrews wants to unpack some crucial truths to them, but admits it's hard to do that because the church is checked out at the moment. It's like board game night. Anybody, was anybody subjected to board game night this week? Anybody? I'm sure you were. I mean, it's when family gathers, what do you do? You either watch TV or play games, right? Well, when folks gather around the table and somebody's teaching the game, there's a moment where people just, what? They, they no longer try to understand. <laughs> they no longer try to understand the rules. They literally shut off. Like, there are those who are like, okay, I don't like this, but I'm going to try. And then there are those who are like, looking over here. You know what I mean? That's a bit how Hebrews feels right now. Except this isn't a game. This is walking with Jesus. So the stakes are high. The second thing they're doing is they're not mentoring. So verse 12 says that they're old enough in the faith to disciple others, to bring others into their mentorship, to, to sort of pass on what they themselves have learned from Jesus. And I think this reveals to us that one of the key reasons that we are called to maturity is not just, hey, look, I'm mature. No, the one of the reasons we are called to maturity is so that we can actually be fruitful and we can actually mentor others. Instead, verse 13 says they're living on milk. They're living in, they have like a neonatal faith. is healthy when you're an infant and a newborn. But according to Hebrews, if you stay that way, it's a sign of unhealth. In a way, I think these verses, if you take a look again at that, predicts what we could call consumerist Christianity. Because 
We can go our whole life consuming sermons. We can go our whole life consuming and attending and listening, but never exploring, never, verse 14, never practicing their discernment, never engaging and distinguishing and discerning between good and evil, never really enacting what it is that they're consuming. And so the author of Hebrews has a brilliant image of an infant who has not grown, but is only consuming. But the preacher, I think, shares the biggest concern in chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. So take a look at that again, or you can look on the screen. In this passage, it seems the church in Hebrews is as content as a baby, but the preacher is scared that these newborns will not just stop growing, but maybe just quit altogether. And the word for this is apostasy. And this passage, I think, tells us two things about it. First, the mysterious possibility. The mysterious possibility of apostasy. So verse 4 says, It is impossible for someone who has fallen away, verse 6, to be restored again. Now, falling away, you got to know, is not like tripping or struggling in the faith. What is described here is a kind of high-handed rebellion, a kind of, okay, I'm walking with Jesus, and now you have my back, and I'm going in the opposite direction. And that is what this original congregation was in danger of, according to the preacher. Having trusted in him, there is now almost like a Judas Iscariot moment. You think about it, Judas sort of was in the, the trail, in the wake of Jesus for all of his ministry, saw amazing things, experienced amazing things, and then at the very end was like, this is not what I signed up for, and he gave Jesus his back. And in a real way, it crucifies Jesus as a disciple, which is the precise warning that we receive in verse 6. And there's a mysterious possibility of this. But second, there's the awful outcome of apostasy. So quitting is no small thing. And that's the sort of image that we receive in the second half, verses 7 and 8. Hebrews, kind of like Isaiah in the Old Testament actually, tells a story of two vineyards. There's a vineyard with soil that takes water and it bears fruit. And then there's a vineyard that takes the same exact water, but instead of bearing fruit, bears thorns and thistles. So one is a blessing because fruitfulness is always for others, isn't it? So one is blessed to be a blessing. That sounds an awful lot like the mission of God given to Abraham. I will bless you to be a blessing. I will make you a vineyard so others can eat your fruit. That is what the call of the church is, friends. And yet this other soil has the same exact blessing, has the same exact rainfall, but yet does not bear anything for the nations. Does not bear anything for others. Does not have a life of discernment, a life of love, but is instead consuming, consuming, consuming. It is blessed, but not a blessing. So the landowner curses and burns the land because that's what you did in the ancient world when land was unproductive. And that is as scary of a warning as you think it is. One New Testament scholar, Douglas Moo, puts it this way, and I'm quoting, Those who do not hold on to faith in Christ show that their experience was superficial rather than genuine. 
He goes on, describing them in ways that mirror genuine conversion so closely. What does that do? As a preacher, it heightens the sense of outrage that someone could turn away from such blessings. So friends, sluggishness is common. It's so common. But it is also concerning. It is concerning. Again, the preacher is not surprised by sluggishness. The preacher is concerned with what we do when we are sluggish. When you take a child to the pediatrician, they have what's called a growth chart, right? And what they do in these moments, so, so I've experienced, is they sort of make sure that your child is on the growth chart. Growth is an important sign of health. And so when the congregation of Hebrews starts falling off the growth chart, which is what's happening, the preacher becomes a concerned physician. That's what's happening right now. And if you were sitting across from a loving, concerned physician, you would never accuse that physician of being mean-spirited, would you? For saying, you're falling off the growth chart, I'm concerned. No, in fact, you'd probably say, thank goodness for this loving and concerned physician who did not just mail it in today, but actually is telling me what I need to hear so that we can get back to heaven. Which is why I want to spend the rest of our time exploring the other passages that we've not yet looked at. Because this physician, this preacher of Hebrews, has two sections of profound warning. We just engage them, and we should allow them to, us to feel the heat of them. But the preacher of Hebrews wants to say this as well. Feel the heat of these passages, but also feel the warmth. Feel the warmth of what God has done for you. One scholar calls this kind of warning and encouragement dynamic, surgery than stitches. Surgery than stitches. Hebrews says open surgery about their danger, and yet stitches them up with assurance. The answer to sluggish faith is a twofold dynamic. Take and be taken. More specifically, take stock and be taken into maturity. And I want to look at both as we close. The first thing we have to do when we are sluggish is to take stock in what we already have, okay? When we are sluggish, we are tempted to just sort of like stay put, aren't we? We're tempted to sort of almost give up, and that's the concern. But instead, what if instead of giving up, what if instead of like sitting down, which is the concern? And by the way, when I say sitting down, I am not throwing shade on the concept of rest when it comes to walking with Jesus. That is so important. What I'm describing is a like tapping out. I'm done running. And so instead of sitting down, what if we took stock in what we already have in Christ? So first, if your trust is in Christ, you already have a solid foundation, and that's the heart of chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Take a look. Therefore, it says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. So... If you're building a garage, you've already laid a foundation, right? And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is, do not lay another foundation. You already have one. What is that foundation? Well, it's repentance from dead works, which can be religious or irreligious. It's just doing works out of the sense of like, I need to please you, God, or please others instead, or I need to prove my sense of worth to you. Instead, these dead works, we repent from them. And instead, we move towards faith toward God. So any obedience that we have is now out of faith towards God. It's out of a sort of response to God's grace in our life. And we go on to maturity that way. 
Verse 2. There's a foundation of instruction about baptisms. And what's expressed there is probably the distinction between John the Baptist's baptism and the baptism that Jesus speaks of. The laying on of hands, which was so often a part of praying for others, even commissioning others into ministry. The resurrection of the dead, we receive the foundation about that and of eternal judgment. And so a key to growth here is not laying again a foundation, but instead taking stock of the foundation you already have and then building on that. And so these two verses give us a foundation of six truths. We read them out. But verses 4 through 5 tell us that all Christians have a foundation of five experiences. The author of Hebrews says it's impossible in the case of... Now, one scholar says you can't find a better definition of a true believer than right here. And that's why it's such a powerful, powerful, powerful moment in his warning against apostasy. Those who have once been enlightened, okay? So enlightenment. When we trust Jesus, we go from darkness to light. We taste the heavenly gift. We share in the Holy Spirit. We share in the Holy Spirit. We, we have participation in the triune life of God by the Holy Spirit. We've tasted. We don't just like think, oh, the Word of God is interesting. No, no, we've tasted its goodness. It's like honey. It's like food. It's the difference between, as some person put it, like looking at a recipe and actually eating what the recipe makes. We have, a, we have experience of the goodness of the Word of God. His promises hold firm. And the powers of the age to come. So the age to come was in those days just an understanding that when God would make all things new. And so what happened was when Jesus was risen from the dead, Jesus inaugurator, he brought in the age to come. And so we can in a real sense be previews of that day when he returns and makes all things new. Whenever we say no to sin, we are showing to the world that we are living resurrection lives. Whenever we love our neighbor as ourselves, and we do that, even if it's like a millimeter above our temptation to not do it, that is, again, you are like a preview of new creation in those moments. And when the church gathers and worships, and when the church is on mission, we are showing the world the age to come. And there's power there, and the Spirit attends that. And so these five experiences, and these six truths are so rich, aren't they? Each of these things could be an immense lifetime of engagement, which is why apostasy is so devastating. So step one, you don't build on it. And step two, it's as if you're walking away from it. So one commentator says, upon them God has poured out more than they could ever have asked or imagined. I had a professor of theology who liked to say, sin is irrational. Just look at Adam and Eve. They turned from it everything they needed in the garden. The book of Genesis goes out of its way to show how they have everything. Deep intimacy with God. God's provision. Everything they needed, but they turned away and rebelled against that. It's irrational. And so we get the same sense here. God has poured out more than they can ever imagine. This author says. But that's not all. Take stock of your secure salvation. So Hebrews, again, wants us to feel the heat of the warning, but also the warmth of the power of God to keep us in His love. Look at verse 9 now. Though we speak in this way, in a warning kind of way, yet in your case, beloved, 
we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So notice what is very easily missed in the passage that we're engaging this morning. Number one, you are beloved. And this is, as commentators point out, the first time this comes out and the last time that this designation comes out in the Sermon of Hebrews. You are beloved. You're beloved of God. That is your status. This author also feels sure of better things, things that are of salvation. This means it's possible to be sure of salvation and to be smart about the dangers of checking out. Did you know that? It's both are true. In fact, one is actually a sign of the other. When we understand ourselves as vulnerable, we ourselves are in, in truth becoming more mature. And then finally, this passage tells us that we can pay attention to the fruit in our life. They were serving the saints, it says in verse 10. And we're still doing that. And they were showing earnestness to have full assurance of hope. And they were imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And we have fruit too. I want to say this. Though you are sluggish, you have fruit. And here's my homework for you. Someone you love, go to them and say, where have you seen me grow? When we are sluggish, we are our worst critics. And we often don't see where we're growing because one, one writer pointed this out. And I think it's true. We often are so focused in these growth areas. The Spirit is growing us in other areas that we're not even watching. Just ask, where am I growing? And you need that. You need that. You need those people like this author of Hebrews is functioning in their life. You need that in your life. Where am I growing? Where is the fruit? The answer to immaturity is to take stock in what we already have. Take stock. And then finally, just be taken as well. One of the keys to maturity is in the, the sort of the verb tense, actually, of verse 6. It says in verse 6, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, that, that translation, I'm not loving that translation. I love how um, other, tra- other translations sort of bring out the fact that in the original Greek, this verb is passive tense. Somebody else is doing the action. It's be taken be taken. We are the ones being acted upon in verse 6. And so this word, go on to maturity, can also be translated be taken along. This is called in theology circles, the divine passive. When you see a passive verb in the New Testament, <laughs> it's, so, it's so wonderful. It's so beautiful. When you see a passive word in the New Testament, The implied subject is God. And He is acting upon us. This says that all maturity and growth is ultimately spiritual. One ancient voice says that we will grow, quote, if the holy gales of the Spirit of God do breathe on us. And that can be such an assurance if you're sluggish right now, can't it? If you're sluggish right now, you need to know that the Spirit is 
the point of your gale breathing up. Ephesians says that God has prepared in advance works for us to do. And this passage, as we looked at, shows us what it looks like. In this passage, I see simple helpfulness. Verse 10. In His name, serving the saints. Simple helpfulness. Have you moved from, let me ask you this, have you moved from the basic teachings of Jesus to the basic helpfulness that is love? In your life, amongst your loved ones, amongst your family, are you serving? These are the kinds of works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. These are the kinds of things that God the Spirit is, in a way, gusting you into. Simple helpfulness. I see eager rest, the rest, eager, eagerness to rest in the full assurance of hope, verse 11. Are you eager to live in light of God's promises instead of today's circumstances? That's the question that is before you this morning. And I see good heroes in verse 12. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let me ask you this. Who are you imitating? Who are your heroes? I was talking with Aaron Badenhop the other week, I was, we were, he was discussing how in the ancient world, imitation was not sort of the bad word that it is in our culture. We're so obsessed with individuality, we're so obsessed with kind of authenticity, that we don't like the word imitation. We think it's somehow less authentic when we imitate. But here's the thing, in the ancient world, and in the world of Hebrews, they valued integrity. And so when they saw somebody, when they saw a human being who was faithful and who was patient in their public and private life, they were like, I'm going to imitate you. And I'm going to actually follow you. And ask the question, how would this person demonstrate patience in this circumstance? So these things are what I want to say the Spirit of God is sort of taking you into. Maturity. Be taken into maturity, says the author of Hebrews. And that's what it looks like. That's not too intimidating, is it? It's just a life of love. It's a life of dependence. It's a life of weakness. But we're asking God, God, what is the good work you've prepared in advance for me today? Spiritual growth has been described well as sailing versus rowing. And I've used that analogy before. I want to switch the analogy to something a little bit closer to the bone. Um, I want to compare whitewater rafting to paddleboard. You know, where you're staying on the paddleboard on a, on a nice, calm, serene lake, and you sort of do this thing. So whitewater rafting takes immense effort if you've ever done it before. But the ultimate power is not in your paddle, is it? The ultimate power when you're going down the current is the current itself. You're just directing, you're steering... Sometimes you're pretending to be the one in control. Now, paddleboarding, who's paddleboarding? This is a totally different thing. This is where you're standing on the board, and the ultimate power is with you. So that if you didn't paddle, you wouldn't move at all. Hebrews says, be taken, be taken. Growth is not paddleboarding. But it's also not up to you either. Okay, so it's what, and here's how I want to close, it's what 
One writer, Francis Schaeffer, called active passivity. Active passivity. Schaeffer compares active passivity to the pregnancy of Mary. In a very important sense, Mary didn't grow Jesus in her womb. That's powerful. But in another very important sense, her faithfulness was required to bear Jesus and accept the promise. And there's a dynamic there that is mysterious. It's as mysterious as growth itself. Be taken into the church. Friends, if you're feeling sluggish this morning, I want to say it's common. I also want to say it's concerning. Feel the heat of this passage, but also feel its warmth. God is at work in you. The Spirit is a gale in your life. So what if 2024 ahead of us is not our year of de-churching? What if it's our year of growth? What if 2024 is our year of maturity? God is empowering this community for that. And so, Lord, would that be true? Would that be true in our lives today? Encourage us. You've taken us, taken us so far. You've given us so many things. Help us take stock in those, but also, Lord, help us to be faithful. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about Hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.